0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Dr. Pacho. This is Talk Radio 2 Thrive by. What a great show we've got for you tonight. First off, let me say right out of the gate that I wish, I wish I would have had the book that I have in front of me right now when I was in corporate America as a senior executive director in a Fortune 100 company out there, in human resources, trying to get things done that I needed to get done. The book that I have in front of me is The Golden Rules for Managers. Frank McNair is my very special guest today on the show. With a successful corporate career over a decade, Frank and his wife team up to kick it into an entirely different gear as McNair and McNair, a training and consulting business specializing in helping companies get the best possible results. But the bottom line is, you know, what is it that we need to learn? What can we learn over a period of a time? What is it that's going to help all of us? Remember who we are and what it means to be successful. Well, i got to tell you, this book I've got sitting here in front of me, this should be on every employee and manager's desk. And we're going to go through some of this incredible information. And the bottom line is, is that you, too, can learn some simple facts, simple strategies, simple tasks, simple clues, and have incredible results. Thanks to my special guest today joining me on the show, Frank McNair. Frank, I'm so glad you're joining me tonight. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Dr. Pat. It's great to be talking with you.
0: It's great to have you here. And I I was just saying that I thought... That, you know, for most of us, having a book like this sitting on our desk would have saved us a lot of time and aggravation. And I've got to ask you, you know, most people I interview have gone through some serious pain to be able to write a book like this. And I want to ask you, you know, what kind of war stories do you have? What did you have to overcome to get to this level of wisdom?
1: <laughs> That's a great <laughs> That's a great question, and I'd say the book is a a compendium of of suffering I've done and maybe some suffering I've observed in my clients' organizations, Um, places where people have confronted challenges, and I've tried to look and say, what is the core of the issue this person is confronting, and what could they take away from it that would help them and I might be able to communicate to other people?
0: So, you know, is there any one of these in the book that you think, wow, if I had to pick one of these golden rules, that would sum up who Frank McNair is?
2: Um,
1: I'm not sure I could uh, – it's like asking somebody who's their favorite of all their children. I don't, know yeah. I, a, I don't know if I have a single favorite, but one of my favorites is um, – one of my favorites of all these golden rules is that everyone wasn't raised at your house we tend to look at the other and assume that that person is us. And consequently, we relate to them as if they were us, and the other person is not us. They see the world differently and they respond differently. So one of my favorites is do unto others as they would like to be done unto.
0: So, you know, this is really a good conversation because we don't talk about that. You know, we, we have a lot of conversation, I think, these days about integrity I think we have a lot of conversations about, you know, what's going on in the workplace and whether or not we have commitment or we don't have commitment. And yet, I think, Frank, haven't we forgotten to get back to basics? I mean, you know, isn't this kind of, you know, what you've done is what I call basics plus because, I don't think many of us ever learned. I don't think managers are trained. I don't think anybody ever talks about what you call employees' positive response.
1: I think you're exactly right. And I think these things, I think management, Dr. Pat, management is not particularly complicated, although it is very difficult. So one of the things we have to do is remember that two or three or four key precepts that will help us do a good job for our employees and consequently do a good job for ourselves and for our companies. My favorite thing to think about is when a manager asks somebody to do something, often they substitute exhortation for management. So they ask the employees to take it to the next level or do a good job or really buckle down. All of those are great ideas, but none of those help the employee understand what needs to be done. So one of our jobs as managers is to paint a clear picture of the target. Let me know what you want. Tell me how to do it.
0: Don't you think, Frank, that we almost forget that managers are employees too?
1: Yes, (laughs) and we also forget, or at least I have forgotten sometimes in my life, not only is the manager an employee, but the employee is a customer. They're consumers of my management style. And they can look at you and either literally or metaphorically say, I'm not buying it, and Mm -hmm. just just sort of go on a mental vacation. And when that happens, the work becomes much harder because there are fewer people doing it now because one person is checked out.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, I mean, we always get a bunch of questions that come in uh, from an author about the book. And I read everybody's books. I just want you to know I've read this book. Thank you. That
1: makes this so much more fun.
0: uh, Oh, it's going to be. We're going to have a blast here. I'm just trying to do a little warm-up with you. Um, But one of the things they, they, they say here to ask you is, why is this book different? Why do we need another one? But I have a different question. Okay. And I think the question that I have is, you know, how is this book going to change the landscape for managers moving into the 21st century and managing during a time where there is so much fear?
1: That's a great question. And I think one of the ways it will change the landscape, I think there's several, but let me give you two quick ones. All one right. Is, one of the ways it will change the landscape is this is a book for practitioners, that is, if the people who are listening to you and to me tonight are people who actually manage, if they buy the Golden Rules for Managers and read it, in three pages they can put, find something to put to use immediately. So I think that's, this is a practical book. It's not a theoretical book. I'm not a theoretician. I'm a practitioner. So that's the mm-hmm. first way. The second way it's different, and the second way I think it'll be particularly applicable, is this book talks about fear. And one of the things that talks about in, in thinking about fear is I think too many managers immediately default to fear as a motivator. And quite frankly, fear does not motivate most people. Um, when, you, when you divert or revert to fear, when you use fear as your default motivational thing, you most often lose the 90% of your people who are motivated by achievement, not by fear. Mm -hmm. So I I think fear is a motivator of last resort. Even in scary times, people are much more motivated by the chance to grab a prize than to avoid being beaten.
0: Yeah, and if you really want to get scared, just go ahead and start living in fear 24-7. I mean, that's when you might as well be living the movie The Exorcist in your job, you know, pretty much, I think, Frank.
1: You're exactly right. In fact, I love your question, what would you do if you knew that you could not fail? Um, because I find that most people, when they step out in confidence, are much more likely to do a good job for themselves, for their employees, and for their company.
0: And that's what we're going to talk about when we come back. Wow, i got to tell you, very special guest, Frank McNair, the golden rules for managers. We're going to be talking about these incredible lessons, and the question to ask yourself, what would you do if you knew you could not, You would not fail. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pat Show.
3: Introducing the featured re-release of Cat James' grassroots best-selling book, The Truth About Beauty, Transform Your Looks and Your Life from the Inside Out. The Truth About Beauty represents the most comprehensively researched and inspiring body and beauty guide to date. It's been called a masterpiece by New York Magazine's two-time nutritionist of the year, Oz Garcia, and a path to personal triumph by former Glamour publisher Suzanne Grimes. The re-released edition of this modern health and beauty classic features 40% new material, including James' long-awaited recipes from her acclaimed Total Transformation programs. Plus, her living formula for freedom from food obsession, state-of-the-art natural skin, supplement, and anti-aging strategies, and a natural product resource guide called Worth It's Weight in Gold by Marie Claire Magazine. If you're ready to get serious, get the truth about beauty and transform yourself today. Visit informedbeauty.com.
2: Are you feeling a little lost? Powerless to overcome your challenges? Dawn Stansfield is a compassionate healer and intuitive messenger who focuses on your self-empowerment by examining current day circumstances, whether they are past, present, or future. She offers practical tools to help you overcome difficult situations and move forward in your life path. For a private consultation, contact Dawn today at 425-453-8180 or visit dawnsvision.com.
5: The future has arrived to your computer. It's called Chat About It, the new interactive internet radio station where you can hear interesting and compelling talk radio. From business to gardening, golf and real estate, Chat About It has a show for you with no more fighting through static to hear your favorite radio program. Chat About It is compelling, high-quality radio that's just a mouse click away. And Chat About It makes it easy to be a part of the conversation. When it's time to be heard, go to chataboutit.com, bookmark it, and start chatting. That's chataboutit.com.
0: Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. If you want to find out more about us, boy, we've got a ton going on. We've got the Holistic Makeover that we're launching again. We're going to be announcing the winner of an all-expenses-paid all expenses paid trip by the Greek gods and Analuke. So that's going to be this week on the show. And you can go to our website, www.thedrpatshow.com or drpatlive.com. Tonight, I have been so looking forward to this conversation with my very special guest, Frank McNair. You know, he is one of the leading experts on how it is we can get ourselves, get our acts together so that we understand what success truly is. What are those golden rules for managers? That's the book I have in front of me on uh, 119 Incredible Lessons for Leadership Success. And before the break, Frank, and Frank, thank you so much for joining us here today. I'm so thrilled that you were able to make it. I wanted to approach that question with you. What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? I have some of my colleagues that say, Pat, you've got to change the question. Don't use the fail word. And I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. That's the word that seeps into most people's minds when the ship is going down, don't you think?
1: I do think I, I think and I think particularly here in the middle of 2009, people are awash in that. They're just awash in stories of failure, fear of failure, um, failure that they've observed, other people experience. Yeah, I think you're dead on the money.
0: So how do we motivate? how do we motivate people? When we're, you know, in this fear, how do we motivate through fear?
2: Uh,
1: actually, if my, that makes sense, in my experience, how do, are you asking me, Pat, how do we get through the fear? Or how, how do, do we, we
0: motivate people through fear?
1: Um, I don't know that fear is a useful motivation thing. I think what we do mm-hmm. is rather than motivating people through fear, we help people see the the possible joy or pleasure or success that is on the other side of the fear. So they're willing to walk through the fear to achieve the success. Hmm. Um, and one of the ways I do that is I, I try to help people realize, you know, motivation is an interesting thing, and it's different for every person almost every day. Here's my, uh-huh. great, here's my great example of that. If you are really hungry, uh, probably the thing that's most going to motivate you is something to eat. But if you're me, for instance, and you've just eaten supper, you're probably more likely to be motivated by a chance to do something that's really important to you. I mean, this is sort of the junior version of Maslow's need hierarchy. So what I try to do is if you want to know what motivates someone, watch how they spend their lives. Where do they put their time? And if you're working with an employee, as many of your listeners probably are, if you're working with an employee who spends a lot of time trying to work their work schedule around one of their children's athletic events, then you can tell that family and presence in children's lives is a motivator for this person. There's somebody that might rather have the time off than get a raise.
0: Yeah. One of the things you say that I love in this book is if you watch long enough, people will show you how to motivate them.
1: They, they certainly will.
0: Wow. So the, How do we speak to managers to get them to that place where they believe it's important to watch folks? You know what I mean?
1: I, I do know what you mean. And one of, the, one of the ways I think probably that you and I have arrived at this point is that we have tried other things and they haven't worked. So we've said, okay, cheerleading didn't work. What else can we try? I've even tried money. And mm. money has – money. people will always, particularly men, Dr. Pat, I hate to tell you this, but particularly men – will tell you, all I need is money. That's not true. That's not true because if you give them a raise tomorrow, in three weeks they'll want another one. But there's not a guy in the world who's going to come in your office and look at you and say, gee, Dr. Pat, I need a hug. Mm. Even though metaphorically and, and actually what they may need is just somebody to recognize them and say, I know you have been killing yourself, thanks. It will get better. In that one statement, you've done two or three things. You've acknowledged somebody's effort, you've appreciated their effort, and you've promised them light at the end of the tunnel. That is very much, it's a motivating thing to be seen. And that person has just been seen. They've been seen as an employee who's sacrificing, an employee who's giving you everything they have, an employee who can't do this perpetually. That's a powerful thing.
0: It's very powerful. You know, there are a lot of books, Frank. I get to talk to a lot of people that have written books on, um, on random acts of kindness, so to speak. And yet we have this line that is at the front of a, the corporate building. It's almost like it's this invisible line that has been drawn, this yellow line that's at the doorway of, let me just say, corporate America and it says when you cross this line leave all random acts of kindness behind you know i'm making a generalization but i think you get my point
1: i do get your point it's almost a it's almost a, like a sign at the front door that says check your humanity here
0: very nice that's it <laughs> that's and, it and that does not
1: work because people are of a piece then you know we ne- we always say to people do not bring your family problems home. Do not bring your family problems to the workplace. This is work. But it never bothers us if people have great insights of their work, about their work while they're at home. You know, nobody cares if they take their work problems home and come up with some great solution while in the shower. Us human beings are of a piece. You can't, you can't segment them in that mm-hmm. way and get the, get the human results you want from the folks you're working with.
0: You know it's really interesting Frank and I know you know this I mean there are so many studies that you know are done in the academic world I I spent you know after my corporate career I went back to school and I and I was really in for a shock when I went back to, to, you know, to get this degree and I was studying theories that were 50 years old, you know, theories on motivation and performance that worked when we have a, had a job secure environment. You know what I'm saying? Now we have a totally different deal. There is no psychological contract. And yet we've not yet used our creativity how to make it work. You have some real nuggets in this book that help us. How do we create some stability out of what people called the unstable workplace?
1: That's a great question. I think one of the ways we do that is by the relationship between the manager and the employees. You're exactly right. The whole employment and social contract in America has changed. I was working in Michigan uh, in April and there's no better place to go to see the changes in that social contract than in the automotive oh, business. The, it's sad. Is, That used to be a job for life. And if you could stand the job, you could work it for 30 years and then be set for the rest of your retirement because of the benefits. And we've seen in the last six months with the implosion of the automobile business, thankfully it looks like it's bouncing back some with the Cash for Clunkers program. But even so, we've seen that break down. So the re- – One of the ways we motivate and relate to our people now is not it's not that this employee is working for this company. It's that this employee is working for you and the and the attitude and sort of the whole workplace environment that you can create in your team as a manager. In fact that's one of the reasons I wrote the Golden Rules for Managers. Like you, Doctor Pat, I'm a coach and a teacher and the golden rules in this book the 119 lessons for leadership success came out of the teaching i do i thought how can we boil this down so people get it and that's that's how the that's how the rules came to the fore just like the i got to tell you
0: i i got to tell you frank there is there is uh, When I came to, and I'll tell you the page it's on, I came to page 55 of the book and I got to this page and I was reading it and I quick instant messaged my best friend. I said, you're not going to believe this. I'm actually interviewing, uh, you know, uh, somebody that works with corporations, one of the leading experts in the field, and he talks about common sense. What you say here is brilliant. Common sense ain't near as common as it used to be. And I wanted to ask you about that, Frank. Well, the, if you could share your insight on that.
1: Well, the reason I ask that, I, I think, Dr. Pratt, that this is actually joined at the hip with the thing, everybody wasn't raised at your house. We, we all enter conversations and interactions with the assumption that everybody has the same background that we have. Well, I was raised in the rural South in a town of about 8,000 people. My life experience is very different from someone who was raised in an urban area, and perhaps, is a generation younger than I am. You know, I was raised in a... There was a man who drove by my house every day in a wagon pulled by a mule. Mm. Most people have not seen that in their childhood. So um, when I, the reason I say common sense and nearly, as import, and nearly as common as it used to be is that we don't have the same shared experience we used to have. And one of our jobs, consequently... And that's what I put in the golden rules for managers is to communicate clearly with our followers, to paint a clear picture of the target.
2: Mm.
1: If you want something, I mean, let's just say that you and I decided to throw our diets to the wind and not care about trans fats, and so we went to a fast food restaurant. Let's do it. Let's do it. And so we walk in, and people have learned that the best way to get a really good meal at a fast food restaurant is to be crystal clear. So what you say is, I'd like your, uh, I'd like your super burger, hold a special ta- sauce, I'd like Biggie fries, no salt, and I'd like a Diet Coke with no ice. That means because we were crystal clear, they have to prepare it all, especially for Dr. Pat and Frank, and it'll be fresh and hot and good. Mm, well, And
0: it's going to be juicy, isn't it?
1: It's going to be juicy and it's going to be made just for you and me. It's not going to have been sitting there on the warming tray for 14 minutes while the Greek well, coagulate.
0: <laughs> and you know what? Isn't that sort of the conversation we're going to have when we come back from break? Because so often we leave things sitting there coagulating. When we come back, one of the best topics I like to talk about, the dreaded feedback conversation yep nobody likes to give it and people certainly don't like to receive it but frank mcnair is going to share some really cool things with us go to frankmcnair.com for more information when we come back we're going to talk about how the golden rule addresses feedback yep for you and for me we'll be right back
3: Visit performancevelocity.com and start getting results now. Are you living your life to the max? Is there anything you would like to change about how you feel or what you're experiencing? You can have anything you want. An empowerment psychic, Linda Dickinson, can show you the way. Living your life to the max is more than a catchphrase. It's what we intended when we came into this life. Empowerment psychic medium, Linda Dickinson, online at inmyfuture.com. For private sessions, call 800-206-9096. Live your life to the max. Is Egypt calling you? Join Dr. Friedemann Schaub and Danielle
4: Rama Hoffman for an initiatory journey to Egypt, May 2010. Picture yourself meditating in the Great Pyramid, cruising down the Nile on a private sailing yacht, and exploring ancient temples in exclusive visits. For a journey that expands your consciousness and opens your heart, call 866-903-6463 or visit EgyptIsCalling.com.
5: Chat About It is the new online internet radio station for listeners that share the same passions. ChatAboutIt.com is the place to get together and talk about a variety of topics. You'll find shows on politics, business, sports, and entertainment. Compelling live radio shows with the most passionate hosts from across the country. It's called Chat About It, and you can find us at chataboutit.com. Bookmark it now. When it's time to chat, go to chataboutit.com.
0: Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio 2 Thrive By. I'm your host, Dr. Pat Basile. I'm joined tonight by the author and, you know, this amazing teacher, this, this individual who has created an opening for us to learn some new tricks. I'm talking about Frank McNair. He is the author of The Golden Rules for Managers. We are thrilled to have this book and have him hot, hot, hot off the press we're talking about some of these nuggets that perhaps we have forgotten along the way, but you know what? I have kind of saved the best for like right now, the dreaded feedback conversation. You know, Frank, I don't think I know any manager that loves to give them. And I don't know that I know many people that like to get them, but you take this conversation head on. What have we learned about feedback these days?
1: Well, actually there are a couple of things we've learned and they've been a kind of a surprise to me. Um, One, if we just think about what this conversation is generally called in the business world, a performance review,
0: it should be... Oh, my God, you're giving me a hot flash. uh, (laughs) That's not a hot flash. That's a power surge. If (laughs) if, 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 If it truly is what it
1: should be, a performance review, it should be no surprise to anybody. It should be a discussion about what has been going on all year and the feedback that the manager has been giving to the employee and likewise, that the employee's been given to the manager. Management is like dancing. Either everybody's having fun or nobody's having fun. So employees also need to give feedback to their manager about how to manage me better, how to get better results from me, what I like, what I don't like. So I think if this, if this conversation is done well throughout the year, the formal thing is merely a reinforcement of things that have been said before. What I have learned about feedback, though, Dr. Pat, and I think this is a key reason that people are rushing out to buy the book, is there are two different kinds of feedback. Of course, we, we are all familiar with positive feedback. And then there's the other kind. Some people like to call it negative feedback. I don't like to live in negativity. So I call that feedback developmental feedback because the feedback is focused on the development of the employee. And developmental feedback, given well, is a great gift to an employee. I like to say that life is mostly packaging. So one of our jobs is to package that feedback in a way that it's hearable. Here are the words I like to use, Dr. Pett, but you may have other ones, but to say, you know, Frank, you'd be even more effective if you did X. Most people want to be more effective. Most Mm -hmm. people are trying to grow and get better. And if we give our employees feedback that says you'd be even more effective if You use visual language in your presentations. If you didn't put your performance um, and your projects off to the last minute, when when we paint people a picture of where they could go with their performance, rather than what we didn't like about their performance, they're more willing to change. And that's the thing that I like about being a manager is helping folks grow.
0: I think you, you really touched on something, Frank, here that's really important to talk about. You know, if we kind of pull what we talked about earlier in the show about the repeal of the psychological contract, and what that basically means is that, you know, it doesn't really hold true anymore that if you work 20, 30 years for a company that they're obligated to provide you benefits or pension or anything else. If we look at that for a minute and we look at the direction we've gone, we're looking at this place where employees believe they're accountable for their careers and look towards their mentors, their managers for for clues, right? It's like I'm on this game called my career and I need to get to the top, but I have to find the clues, who's got them. And I think what I hear you saying is that We have to look towards our managers to provide the clues for people that want to excel. Is that right?
1: That's exactly right. And sometimes the managers don't know that that is their job, and sometimes some managers, not all, but some managers are threatened by people who turn to them for advice because perhaps the manager is the same age as the employee. They see the employee as a threat. That's another part of what I've heard you talk about before, Living in Mm -hmm. fear. If we're Mm -hmm. about radio to thrive by, then living in fear like that is not a mindset in which you thrive.
0: That's right. Right. It's not really going to get us what we want. I love what you say about feedback in, in this in, in in this book. And if those of you that have, you know, shut your ears up here about the feedback conversation, you're going to want to hold on to this nugget. And I and I would like you to talk about this a, a little bit. Uh, feedback is a process, not an event. And I think you touched on that earlier earlier. Uh, what is it going to take, Frank, for us to understand, both managers and employees, that it's a process? And what's it going to take for employees to say to their bosses, Hey, Frank, what do you think about what I just did?
1: You know, it's perfect that you should say that, Dr. Pat, because in my first job out of business school, so I've, I've gone to, I've done sort of the thing you did, although I really want to salute you for stepping out and doing the thing the thing you knew you must do and could not fail at, getting your Ph.D. (laughs) I had finished my graduate work in business, and I took my first job in a major multinational, and 18 months later, I had gotten no formal feedback from my boss.
0: Wow. You
1: know, and I I was disappointed and surprised and puzzled about how I was doing. So one of the jobs that we have, now that the social, as you call it, the psychological contract has changed, and there are Mm -hmm. no employment-for-life situations, one of our jobs is to continually solicit feedback. And I like to break that down to three easy questions people can ask their manager and three easy answers they can offer their manager. What are you getting that you like? That's the question you ask your manager. What am I doing that you, you like and want me to do more of? What am I doing that you dislike and want me to stop? And what do I need to do in the next 90 days to prepare myself for a future job that might be appropriate for me? If you ask those three questions and get honest answers, and if you offer the answers to your boss as well, what is the boss doing that you like and want more of? What is the boss doing that you don't like and want less of? And what is, what is the boss doing that you think is an impediment or impediment to the boss's promotion? You will also be helping the, the boss, if you will, mm-hmm. your manager. Feedback is a gift. And the more often we give it, the more we, I think, raise the competence level of the world.
0: You know, I love what you're talking about. And one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, part of what I got to do in going back to school was therapy. I mean, you know, from the minute I went back to, you know, a graduate degree, I studied job loss. When I went into a graduate Ph.D. program, I studied job, researched it, studied job insecurity, ultimately to end up with a dissertation topic, Frank, that you'll laugh at, um, you you know, organization and manager obligations in a framework of psychological contract development and violation. And so, you know, here I got to do this, but I got to speak with people, Frank, people just like you speak with every day to find out not only what's in their, on their minds, but what's in their hearts. And I wanted to, you know, ask you when all is said and done, you know, what is the message that both managers and employees need to get?
1: Um, I think there are two or three key things that managers and employees need to get. Uh, and one of them that we all need to say to each other is, your job is not your life. You know, I, I am more than my job responsibilities, and I acknowledge that you are more than your, your work accountabilities. We have, I guess, in the mid-20th century, people, in, at least in my judgment, over-identified with their work roles because we have so many other roles. We are parents. We are people who live in a world where there is, you know, some animating life force, and we have to somehow acknowledge some people call that God, people call it mm-hmm. other things. But that's mm-hmm. a, you know, few people, as you have no doubt heard and perhaps explored in your graduate work, few people on their deathbed look up to the doctor and say, gee, I wish I'd spent more time at work. Mm-hmm. So, so, what are the things that animate life? That's one of the things we need to do is acknowledge that. The second thing we need to do is say, we have to eat and. For many of us, work not only gives us food to eat, but it provides meaning in life. So how do I do this thing in front of me well without being consumed by it? And then the, thing I, we, the next and final thing is how do we honor each other as people mm-hmm. who are more than the sum of their work responsibilities, but people who have to work, how do we honor each other while we're here working together? How do we fulfill the work contract? so that we can do a good job for whatever it is that we worship beyond ourselves and our work.
0: I love what you're talking about because, you know, we're talking about not just a set of values, but those values have to be translated into behaviors. And, you know, part of that conversation is what you've done in this book. For those of you just tuning in, I'm so thrilled and honored to have Frank McNair joining me here tonight. The book is The Golden Rules for Managers. I mean, this is something that's going to start to show up on, you know, managers' desks, employees' desks, you name it, everywhere, because they're filled with nuggets and the nuggets I'm referring to have to do with, you know, creating a new contract in the workplace. When we get back, we're going to be talking about what Frank says the madder you get, the dumber you are. The madder you get, the dumber you are. You know what? Dumb and dumber. Here we go. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pacho.
3: Check out her website at margaretmcelroy.com. That's Margaret, M-C-E-L-R-O-Y.com. PerfGo Green, biodegradable by nature, green by choice. Traditional trash bags stay in our landfills and pollute the earth for over 800 years or more. PerfGo Green trash bags disappear naturally within two years and leave nothing harmful behind. Convert your home, school, and business to PerfGo Green. Now available at Walgreen, Amazon.com, OfficeMax, and other local stores. Visit PerfGoGreen.com. That's P-E-R-F-GoGreen.com. <laughs>
0: Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. So to sign up for a newsletter, to sign up for the holistic makeover, to get ready to find out how you can go on a four-month journey to change your life from the inside out, Uh, Give us a shout at uh, www.drpatlive.com or www.thedrpatshow.com. My very special guest tonight is Frank McNair, and you certainly can find out more about him by going to frankmcnair.com. You'll find out about him, and you'll find out about this book, that is calling attention to how managers behave and how employees behave and how the two come together to create unprecedented results. Frank, before the break, I mentioned, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the nuggets I found in the book, the madder you get, the dumber you are. But, boy, we just I had a boss that pounded on the table and scared the bejesus out of everybody. What the heck is going on when we get that kind of response in the workplace?
1: Well, you probably know much more about this than I do, Dr. Pat, because you've studied it, but from what I understand, psychological theorists posit that when we get mad, the general reason that happens is some goal or another of ours has been blocked, that anger is caused by blocked goals. Um, I don't know what causes it, but I know the result of becoming angry, as your manager or your boss was angry, is I at least find myself moving from the seat of cognition, that is, moving from rational thought to moving to gut or visceral responses to things. And whatever my IQ is, I can assure you that my SQ, that is, my stomach quotient, is not as high a number as my (laughs) intelligence quotient. So for most of us, when we become angry, in fact, we have another word for that, irrational, not (laughs) rational, and we wind up making poor choices or we wind up saying things that cannot later be unsaid. So at least for me, I have found that a way to avoid getting in that place is to stay in a rational mode, to stay in data-gathering mode. In fact, a while ago we were talking about giving people feedback, and one of the things I've always said when I coach people is stay calm. One crazy person in the room is enough.
2: That's true.
1: (laughs) So if you're evoking a crazy response from an employee – I have found the very best thing to do is to, is to ask questions. It's easier to listen people into understanding something than to talk them into it anyway. So you say, well, I, I sense that you're really resistant to this. Tell me what your resistance is. What is your experience of this situation? And you ask questions till you fully understand what's going on. It's much easier, as I said just a minute ago, to listen people into a new way of seeing the world than to talk them into it which i'm sure was part of your study when you were at claremont and working on your phd
0: well you know i i had to go through it myself frank i mean you know i i went through the experience of being the head of a of a, of a corporate hr organization you know responsible for implementing downsizing and i didn't have the stomach to do it i mean i just i honestly i couldn't fire somebody one one month away from full pension and so that began my journey down this path of reflection that's what you do in this book by some of the wisdom you share. You, you really call us to reflect upon who we are and who we want to become in the workplace. And I think it is about time that we had a book like this that allows us to step outside of ourselves yet be ourselves. And that's what I find in this book that's what this book does and it gives us enough of it you know in 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 little pieces little chunks including firing ourselves you know what i'm
1: saying (laughs) yes yeah sometimes we do have to fire sometimes we're not the right person for the job or other than dismissing ourselves in the way that word fire is sometimes used we also need to fire ourselves with enthusiasm for the new thing that's why i like What would you do if you knew you could not fail? I think that is one of my favorite lines in all of life. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is the thing. When we ask that question of ourselves, what we are essentially asking is the ultimate motivational question. Where is your passion? What is it you think you were placed on this world to do? What is it in this world that only you can do? And those are some of the things that the golden rules for managers tries to equip people for. In talking about motivation, I often use Mother Teresa as an example. And I say, okay, what do you think motivated Mother Teresa? Was it the fashionable clothes she got? Was it the, the exotic places she got to visit? No, it was serving her deepest joy. It was being congruent with her understanding of what the universe and God was calling her to do. I think we are all happiness, happiest when we are in that place which is why you're called as Radio to Thrive By. You have Mm -hmm. found that place for you.
0: You know, and it's really interesting that we share that because I think this is a conversation that you also bring to the table in the book. And you talk about it from this place of demanding excellence. And I really think that for you, Frank, you being and doing the work that you are doing and, you know, what you've created, you come from that place, I can hear it in your voice, of joy. You know, that place that you referred to with me, I love doing radio. And, boy, I didn't sit down and plan it. I dialed the wrong phone number. (laughs) And yet at the same time, I said yes to it. You say that once you demand excellence, some people will move up and others will move on. Either way, the organization wins. But also, either way, the individual wins. And I wanted to ask you about what kind of of character is required these days in the workplace, given the fear, given everything else, what kind of character is required to demand excellence?
1: That's a great question, and I think what is required to demand excellence is an understanding of what excellence is in the job about which you're talking and also a belief that excellence in that place, in that job, is the highest and best call of people. So as as I read, a, a famous writer friend of mine said, you know, if, if your work is creating pornographic videos, then you might not want to try to do excellent work. You might want to find new work. Mm. But if your work is even something mundane, like running a printing press, then you might want to think about how do... Uh, my favorite way to, to put legs are around this idea is to say, if I had to sign my work like the great artists of the 17th and 18th centuries signed their work, is this work I would want to sign? Does this work represent what I believe about who I am and how I should pay back my rent for mm-hmm. taking up space in the world? And then if you think that work is what you want to be doing, Then demand excellence of yourself. You're giving the only thing you have to do that work, which is time. That's the only thing that we're all given equally. You, Dr. Pat, me, and Bill Gates, who at least last time I checked was the richest man in the world, we all get 168 hours in a week. We're all trading those hours for the work we do. Let's do that work well.
0: I love what you're talking about. And, Frank, this is a great way to kind of wrap this up because, you know, the, the, the part in the book, and for those of you that missed any part of this, please check it out. The Golden Rules for Managers is the book. Frank McNair is my very special guest. You know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you as we wrap up, this is perhaps the last thing you talk about and you say in the book. If you don't know what you stand for, you'll fall for anything. Wow, that's a big statement, Frank.
1: That's a great line from a country music song. I told you I was raised in the rural south.
0: And mm-hmm. it's true.
1: If you don't know what you'll stand, stand for, if you don't know what really matters to you, then any counterfeit thing that comes along will look pretty good to you. One of our jobs is to find out what are the fundamental non-negotiables for ourselves. And once we find that out, to move out in the world in a way that lives faithfully to those things.
0: In the business that you're in, in the consulting business, many people don't know that every day as consultants we're faced with questions around our own integrity and what we stand for, that we have to decide whether or not we're going to tell the truth to that CEO that's paid us a good sum of money or we're going to tell them what we want. How do you keep yourself centered, Frank?
1: Well, I guess the fundamental way I do it is that I don't, find my primary identity in my work. I find my primary identity in my relationship to those I love and the God I serve. So Mm
2: -hmm.
1: what I do is tell the truth because I've found the truth is the only thing that works. And even if it doesn't work short term, that is, if you tell the truth to someone and they decide they don't want to work with you anymore, you can still walk away from the relationship with integrity. If you lie and keep the relationship, now every night you have to sleep in the bed with a liar. Mm. And that's not a good place to be.
0: Oh, my God. No, that is not. Boy, you just gave me chills. Frank, thank you so much for joining me and taking time out of your very busy day. Any last, uh, last words you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: I just want to say keep, keep doing Talk Radio to Thrive By. And if folks want to find me, you're right. I'm on the web at www.frankmcnair.com. And they can find the book, The Golden Rules for Managers, at my website, or they can go directly to Amazon and buy it in three minutes. I just checked, and they have some available.
0: And I want to make sure everybody knows it's the kind of book that you want to get for your bosses. And you want to kind of sneak it in there and leave it on the desk and put an old red ribbon around it. Thank you so much for tuning us in and turning us on. And if you've missed any part of this, you certainly will be able to hear it in its entirety. Check out Frank, his work, and definitely make this book something that you read just in case you become a manager. We'll see you next time, everyone.
2: Not